right, all right, all right, and welcome back to the latest episode of the GFP Podcast and Blast. It is mid-November, and for most of the state, it doesn't feel like it. A lot of times we're ice fishing and up to our ears in snow already, but Mother Nature has decided to delay old man winter, put him on a leash and a collar, and uh, we've had some great weather and uh, in South Dakota in November. Man, if it's uh, if you like to be outside and hunt, you can take your pick. It's it's about as good as it gets right now. Um, West River deer season fully underway. East River deer season starts this weekend. Migration's coming through, and there's water open, so that's good news for waterfowl hunters. Um, still, some archery hunters going hard East River for sure because they're trying to get that buck down before uh, before the rifle season starts this weekend. We still got pheasant hunting. Pheasant hunting has been really, really good this year. Um, a lot of it has to do with Mother Nature, and we're going to talk about that. I got two awesome guests. Nick and I just sat down with uh, two, I don't know, maybe legends are a little, little pushing it, but uh, two guys from Pheasants Forever, uh, Bob St. Pierre, who's been on the podcast and, and usually does an electric job. Um, if you've ever been to Pheasant Fest, he's the guy running around in the bright orange hunting blazer. And uh, does a lot of work in the PR side of things. Kind of uh, probably the most popular guy at Pheasant Fest normally. And then uh, Chris Callis, who is vice president of kind of customer relations and and um, getting you know sponsors and a big big part. Both of these guys, big big part of Pheasant Fest, which is coming to Sioux Falls this year, uh, end of February, beginning of March. So that'll be big if you're in hunting at all, bird hunting especially. Uh, that's a must, must attend. But talked to these guys and uh, talked about Pheasant Fest towards the end of the uh, podcast. But really talked about how tactics and stuff should change when uh, the season drags on. Pheasant hunting and, and uh, upland bird hunting. Good, good stuff. Uh, these guys picked their brains. Bob just came from... South Dakota. Chris is coming uh, next week to hunt up in the Northeast. So good stuff. Hope you're uh, having a great hunting season. Hoping you're having a great fall. Uh, state record walleye got broke twice in the last couple of weeks. And if we get a little bit of open, open water, it might get broke again. But um, this last one was a banger, 17 pounds plus. Uh, just a big, big fish. And a lot of people fishing for those big fish right now on Oahe and on other lakes across South Dakota. So Hope you're doing well. Stay tuned and enjoy. Welcome to the middle of the grind, pheasant season, uh, starting of our deer seasons in South Dakota, a beautiful uh, November day. I'm your host, Chris Hall, GFP communications specialist, riding shotgun, now permanent, as he demanded, permanent partner, per permanent co-host, uh, communications manager, Nick Harrington. Nick, thanks for being here, brother. You know, I think I'm due for a contract extension <laughs> oh, now, because yeah. now it's like my fourth show, so now I think, you know, 
you know, I think I get kind of oh, the maker of stars and look what they do. <laughs> like I said, we got about every every season in South Dakota that is is uh, open right now and uh, going strong. But we're uh, we're going to talk about pheasants because we got a couple of sort of legendary dudes with us today. Uh, we've talked with our friend Bob St. Pierre, maybe the most electric man in pheasant hunting and habitat. Bob, thanks for being here, brother. <laughs> electric i like it do, do i have to do the electric slide yes yes uh, that's how but, i pheasant hunt uh, with pointers yeah, i would love to see that bob you're in in redfield or that those parts right now aren't you uh, i i was i'm back in the office back to the grind as you say but i was i was in your fine state uh, just a few days ago chasing birds around right on and uh, next to him on uh, Bob's right, our left, but your imagination is uh, Pheasants Forever, Chris Callis. Chris, how are you doing, bud? Uh, I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me, guys. And you're in uh, Buffalo, Minnesota, you said? I'm in Buffalo, Minnesota, and work right out of uh, Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's home offices in White Bear Lake, but enjoying the hybrid model right now, right? So. Oh, we locked up. Am, I, locked am up. I here? Yep, now we're there. Just locked up a little bit. Yeah. Um, Chris, but you're going to be, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit uh, at length in a little bit, but you're going to be in Sioux Falls kind of preparing for uh, preparing for Pheasant Fest coming up, huh? Absolutely. Really excited to uh, be coming to Sioux Falls and uh, in March for National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic and, and uh, have multiple visits. Uh, so we'll be in Sioux Falls here this week to go do site visits for our fundraisers and um, make sure we have placement for our partners. Then uh, meeting with the Experience Sioux Falls uh, Council for, for lunch yeah, and, yeah. and generating some donations. Right on. It's good to see one of you in the office doing some work instead of <laughs> Bob. Well, we can't say no. Yeah. You and I are now much better. Yeah, I haven't been in the office in all of October, obviously. <laughs> We you you would hope that I'd bring my be able to bring my bird dog, but being in meetings all day in in Sioux Falls, he's not joining me now. But I'll be the be there in a uh, about another week, and uh, hitting the Webster area, Hecla area, Aberdeen, and uh, yeah, it should be have a good time. That's kind of that's kind of my home ground up there in that country. So if you run into any trouble, I'll get you my phone number and uh, don't tell them you know me. Just call in an emergency. Call <laughs> for the help. Yeah. yeah. Use that at your own risk. Really. Yeah. Get in more trouble if I name drop. Right. Right. Chris, yeah. give us your like your background. Where are you from? And and so that store stuff. And how'd you got into hunting? And what sort of dogs you're running? Just just give us the four one one on you. Yeah, absolutely. So I have, uh, I'm from Minnesota, born and raised, and um, grew up hunting as the bird dogs for my my father and uh, and my uncles. Uh, we didn't have a bird dog growing up, but hunted a, a variety of different species of so pheasants and and grouse, uh, deer and turkey, and um, just absolutely loved being in the outdoors. Um, entered my career though in radio so i i worked in radio for 21 years um both on air but primarily in promotions and marketing so really connecting a lot of our partners with our audiences to uh either sell product or have fun before concerts and things of that nature and found the exciting opportunity to to fuel my passions in conservation and hunting with 
with the great organization of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, now coming up to seven years ago, um, where I head up our corporate relations, um, I'm vice president of corporate relations, which um, handles our merchandise programs for uh, our chapter fundraising efforts. Uh, our team works with the, the Shields uh, relationship for our Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever store. We handle all of uh, our advertising, telling the story of the great work we're doing. So it's exciting working with with Nick and yourself on our South Dakota tourism and game fish and parks uh, partnership and the great things we're able to accomplish together. And then national fundraising efforts and events um, such as National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic. Uh, I do have two adult children uh, that are I'm so pleased that are uh, hunting as well from ducks to to pheasants. In fact, I talked to my son today and he asked if he could take out our oldest dog who's seven. Uh, his name's Blaze and a poodle pointer out pheasant hunting this afternoon. Uh, I am blessed to only live one mile from a wonderful WPAs and MAs um, it, that our Wright County Pheasants Forever chapter has been integral um, working with the state team here on creating. Um, so it's just neat to see your your children embrace that. Uh, my daughter the same. Uh, and now her husband and dogs. I, I run poodle pointers. So yeah, I have, uh, Blaze is Hippie my dogs. first dog. Yeah, yeah. So I, he's he's been awesome. Um, first bird dog ever, because uh, my previous life just didn't have the time. It was only able to hunt opening and and with folks that had it. Um, and we just love them. They're clown like um, yeah. and and really great in the home. Um, really great in the fields have been blessed with that so we decided to to do it do it again and get another and fortunately i've got great resources like bob um give you an advice on when to add that second dog or what's right. from from various opinions so we just added our second this past june her name is faith um another poodle pointer so she is she's going to be great um have been having her in the field and she's working working the ground she's already had um wild points and she just needs a better shooter with her she had a better shooter um so that's why i need my son or my my son-in-law to come with me so that uh, when she does point and the rooster rises that uh, they come up successful so right so and yeah i've got a beautiful wonderful wife of uh, 25 years and uh, really excited to be a part of um, pheasants forever and quail forever and the great work we're able to do and that we're able to do with our partners you know putting the habitat on the ground getting our partners to support that in increasing access which i'm sure we'll touch upon a little bit with the path program the really exciting um, new collaboration with you all um, that's got great momentum um, the list goes on right so well yeah, it's a long, it's, brief uh, summary, right? Yeah. No, I think I think when Bob and I did that, we 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 about I about ran out of uh, digital. digital. <laughs> we just started talking about each other and people we knew and everything. It was like, I wonder if this is going to be interesting for folks. Or, um, but no, that's yeah. great. And and I I say hippie dogs because I've got a place south of here, and and uh, these guys from Alabama, and they bring their short hairs and everything, and. They've got a poodle pointer and uh, named Drake, and he's just a stud that they call him the hippie dog. And he's probably mm. the most photogenic dog I've ever taken photos of. I mean, you know, I'm I'm kind of a lab guy. My 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 grandpa was six foot six and and full blood German, and he would say there's three kinds of dogs: black, brown, and and yellow, 
and everything else is a barn dog, right? Um, I've, I've grown to have an appreciation of some of these barn, quote unquote, barn dogs. And, and the poodle pointer is certainly on the top of the list. So that's cool stuff. <laughs> but uh, talking about legendary dogs, let's get back to Bob a little bit. Bob, you gave us the rundown last time and, and kind of coming out, you know, coming off of Pheasant Fest or at least two thirds of the way through it. And we mm-hmm. both took a deep breath. And and uh, I know you've got a couple of stud dogs and you you had one named trammel that's probably been on i've seen more pictures of him than i've maybe even seen of my dog <laughs> um well what are you what are you running these days Bob, for dogs? Yeah, yeah uh so yeah i've always uh well i grew up with britneys my wife grew up with labradors German short hairs are the marital compromise between Labradors and Britneys. And uh, uh, so, I, so all of my adult life, I've had female German short hairs, even though maybe they've got had male names. Uh, right. Trammell, named after uh, my childhood hero, Alan Trammell, former Detroit Tigers shortstop. Tr- unfortunately, Trammell uh, passed away a few years back at the. Uh, at the age of 14 so she had a terrific run um nowadays i'm running um i've got esky named after my hometown of escanaba michigan all the locals call call escanaba esky so my my pup's named esky she's nine and a half and then my youngster is little gitchy gumi (laughs) named uh get call named gitchy after uh the um Native American name for Lake Superior. Big Lake. And uh, and I've got uh, my name on a pup for uh, 2024. So I'm kind of in an every five year uh, cadence. So yeah, so I've got uh, got one kind of getting on the veteran status, one in the prime, and next season I'll have a rookie. Awesome. So now I have this question because I picked on whole about this. So how many is too many dogs in the house? What's what's the number of dogs? I know Hole's answer. I want to know Bob's answer. It, it's three. It, three is too three is too many. Um, honestly, it's hard to fit three dogs in a truck. Um, but one is not enough, and you just you have to you have to have that sweet spot where and ultimately um, having three where one of them is aging out, one of them is a youngster, and you always have one in the prime. Right. Uh, like, my my life revolves around wildlife habitat and bird hunting. And right. it's part of my identity. It's what I live to do. And, you know, for a few years that uh, you have the three dogs, it's a little inconvenient. Three dogs in a hotel room, right. three dogs in an SUV, but it's, you know, it's worth it. Yeah, it, it, my my stock answers with labs is uh, how good of a vacuum cleaner do you have? <laughs> right, we've got two really good Dysons. So yeah, <laughs> so yeah, that that's that's kind of you know that you always talk when people are talking dogs. It's like okay, they live in the house. Yeah, you've got four. Oh man, your wife is either gone or she left you or she's really understanding she loves dogs, right? Another benefit of the poodle pointer though, Chris. Right. Yeah. You know, hair over and same with the GSP. You gotta give them credit. It they drop hair, but it's not the same as a lab. 
Yeah. <laughs> I've got a little mini golden doodle that's that's a house dog. She will hunt, but every cocklebur finds her. But mm. uh that yeah, that was the my wife wanted a small dog and I said, Okay, we're getting, you know, a, a poodle pointer or a mini golden doodle or a golden golden doodle of some sort that so at least we have a little respite on the on the hair being everywhere and having to vacuum every day instead of every three days or something. So yeah. But you know, Good timing, like you know, like I said, boys, and you know this, Bob. You're just coming out of South Dakota from. You were here for about a week, right, or three, four. No, I just long weekend. It was. Um, I I got out on a Thursday night. And it was Veterans Day, so right. we observed the federal calendar. So we had that Friday off. So I I hunted all day Friday, all day Saturday. Uh, morning hunt, and then started working my way home. And uh, I squeezed in one public lands hunt in South Dakota before I crossed the border at uh, the Golden Hour, which was epic. Right. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so just a quick three-day trip. So, yeah, good timing. You're coming, you're, you're home, and, and Chris is heading this way. You know, really, we wanted to focus some of this this talk about, you know, we're shifting now from that, you know, those opening couple weekends where there's crops in and it's it's big hunts and big cornfield drives or, you know, you're doing that kind yeah. of stuff to starting to shift to this mid-season. You know, I, I was going to say late season, but we don't really have any snow on the ground. So it's not I don't consider that late season until we're getting some snow. But we get questions all the time, you know, here people stop by or people call and go, you know, man, we're hunting these amazing chunks of, of, of public ground or amazing chunks of habitat and man we're just not seeing the birds and you talk to them and, and you kind of how do you tell them that they were hunting wrong or you know without saying yeah you're hunting that wrong so let's just talk about you know bob what were you seeing you said the golden hour you mm -hmm. know obviously that last hour of the day you know what's your attack when you're coming here and you know, okay, it's mid-November. These birds have had some pressure. Hunting pressure is down, but these birds are smart. Uh, what are you doing to take advantage of your time in South Dakota and make sure you come home with a few birds? Because I know your wife likes to eat them. So yeah, hundred percent. We all we all like to eat them. And, and so first of all, I'd say South Dakota is loaded this year. Um, do do your due diligence and talk to folks on the ground because there was parts of south dakota that were suffered through a bit more drought than other mm -hmm. parts so the habitat um in some areas and i'm thinking about the southeast corner yep. um emergency hay and grazing so the habitat's a little bit thinner there um and but if you talk to folks like our buddy casey and up in aberdeen he would Absolutely. easily share info with you and Gosh, there's so much public land around Aberdeen. It's just, it's epic. Um, so do some, you know, Onyx and telephone work before you go. I think that that is my first tip. Um, next, it, it, like you say, there's no snow on the ground right now. It's been a darn beautiful yeah. mid-season, um, which... I just love this kind of weather for bird hunting, you know, and, and the birds are, are definitely pressured as you've indicated, you know, they, they've, they've been chased around a little bit. So you are going to have to start looking towards thicker cover. The birds are spending time in the cattails, even though there isn't snow on the ground, they're going right. to, they're going to dump into the cattails even more once it gets wintry, but they're there already. And, you know, for folks that haven't hunted South Dakota, I would say it, maybe you're a Minnesotan or a 
Wisconsinite. The cattails in the South Dakota are different than the <laughs> cattails. In, uh, right? Like, yeah, so, yeah. It, it, cattails are not cre- created equal. Um, if you're used to being a Minnesota pheasant hunter, cattails in Minnesota are can be almost impenetrable. They're, they are just thick, thick, thick. When you go to South Dakota, it's like, I can actually move through these. They're yeah. just, I, I think it's probably related to soil and, and water, um, but they're just not as thick. You can move through cattails and there's a lot of places that have been dry in South Dakota. So you're not even getting wet. The birds are in there. It's thicker, secure cover. Um, so, and you can you can effectively hunt pointers or flushers in the cattails of South Dakota, which is a little different than if you're used to hunting northern Iowa or Wisconsin or, or Minnesota or Michigan. Uh, so that's the first thing. The, the other thing, two other things, um, rather than uh, like storming the beaches in Normandy, like walking the big army lines, um, go special ops. You know, think about being quiet, stealthy, because, again, these birds have been pressured. Um, so you want to be quiet. You don't want to slam doors. You don't want to be yelling at your bird dog. You don't want to be hooting and hollering because you're these birds have played the game and they want to survive. So, you you know, park in a place that's a little different than everybody else. Be quiet. And then that leads to the other element is the, the people from opening day on have walked the perimeter of your favorite wildlife area. You, I mean, they've trampled down the paths where it looks like a deer trail. Yeah. And, you know, there's a philosophy in fantasy football called do the opposite. And I'm a big subscriber to that in pheasant hunting. Do the opposite of everybody else. Don't walk the perimeter. Unleash your dog and go to the center. Zigzag. Do loop-de-loops. Just do something. It go from heavier cover to spot to spot to spot. Do not just walk clockwise, counterclockwise like everybody else because the right. birds have played that game. Right. So now, the one thing I, I kind of ask you guys, and it's kind of a unique question, but it's something as a Nebraska kid that moved to South Dakota, lived in Brookings, spent some time in Chamberlain, now lives in Pierre. We say hunting in South Dakota, hunting in South Dakota, hunting in South Dakota, but the landscape, it's so different. I mean, what you talked about down in the southeast is completely different than what Casey's got up in Aberdeen and what mm-hmm. you're used to hunting up in Sisseton or what we've got out here in Pierce. So, I mean, are are there comparisons? Like, you, I found what you were talking about with the cattail super interesting. Are there parts of the state that compare to other states that folks might be used to? Or what what would you categorize, you know, south dakota down on a you know a landscape level that's a great question um as a kid growing up in michigan and not having ever been to south dakota until i started working for pheasants forever my mind's eye what south dakota was was sort of an extension of iowa until you get to mount rushmore then (laughs) like something changes right but i'd never really been until i started hunting and and you're right there's that dramatic shift in landscape at the Missouri River, right? It, 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 you, as South Dakotans, you know this, West River, East River. But for folks that live, uh, for don't live in South Dakota, east of the Missouri River in South Dakota is very comparable 
to Western Minnesota or, or Northwest Iowa. It's not identical, but very comparable. Like I said, there's some subtle differences in the thickness of the cattails and the, the types of crops and the just the overall landscape, but it's very comparable. As you head west, it's sort of a mashup of Nebraska and Montana. Um, you know, maybe Eastern Montana. It's certainly not, you know, the foothills of the Rockies, but you know, it is more arid. Um, it is more rolling hills. There's, um, you know, the the secret gem of South Dakota is the mixed bag. Right. You know, I I think about you, you know one of the most underappreciated underappreciated types of public lands, in my opinion, is national grasslands. And you have three of them. You've got uh, Fort Pier, Buffalo Gap, and the Grand River. And from a bird hunter's perspective, those are so underappreciated. They're absolute gems. And you got pheasants, sharpies, chickens in some of them, and huns in others. So, um, yeah, that's a long-winded answer to to what it compares to. But it, South Dakota is very unique. And uh, it does have exceptional bird hunting opportunities be beyond the orange army pheasant hunt that is right. kind of the the crown jewel right chris as you head here and and i know you put you know plenty of thousands of miles on your boots and stuff what do you think about like the time of day and bob you can answer this too but the time of day and when i brought that up you know well i walked this piece of you know this great piece of habitat and and, and there there wasn't a bird and there was hardly any sign and I'm sure it got overhunted and I'm thinking man I've shot a lot of birds there at the right time right what how underestimated or or overlooked is is when you're hunting even adding on how you're hunting well you know I've been fortunate to be increasing the amount of my uh <laughs> boots on the ground time right. over the past seven years but um I'm probably more of your intermediate than expert, but I'd, I'd have to say that when it comes to um, targeting the the habitat, you want to look at if the game production or walk-in access is near uh, food sources, you know, uh, crop, crops that have either been harvested or, or non-harvested, and the time of the day that you're going to go into those areas over another time of the day, right? As you get closer to that that golden hour, and and you know as they're coming out of the food sources and into their their habit the nesting habitat or or evening cover, that's when they pile up thick, and right. and you want to try to target those corners. You may even want to look at game production areas. I've had a lot of success in South Dakota when you identify the game production areas that are holding sorghum, corn, and where that. Um, that food is placed on on that property you'd get that nice right in the morning because they're coming out of the food sources into their their uh the habitat for the day and then uh at night so you know from my perspective that's how i would tackle it is is looking at um any food sources around from standing crop to harvested crop um you know corn soybean sorghum um and kind of what's in that area and and hitting those edges but i to bob's point getting into those areas that pe the most people won't go to find find the areas that are not on the major highway i mean you can still hit those and have success but a lot of people do the easy 
right? It's it's right there. And oh, look at we have all these great resources from Onyx and Game Fish and Parks map um, app to locate them. Do that research on the various habitat types throughout the state, as Bob uh, mentioned when you were asking that question, Nick. You know, know where those landscapes are, so you know how to how how to tackle that habitat. Uh, I went for um, grouse for the first time and and needed to phone a friend. Bob was my my friend to phone oh, yeah, because I was one. in the wrong I was in the wrong habitat, right? So if you know right. folks, but there's resources out there of people that are absolutely happy to help you. But that that's how I look to target um, where I'm going to hunt at any time during the day because you're going to have success all day. You don't have to only target night, only target, you know, opening shooting. Um, just be mindful of the habitat that you're targeting throughout the day. You know, fitting next to those food sources in the morning and in the evening, and then always hit those those far to reach places because you know that the majority of people are not um, going that, that direction, so. <laughs> I, I just think about when I when I moved here, it, it is completely different from that northeast part of South Dakota where you're going, Chris. And and when I first started coming here, it was really frustrating. Yeah, there's a lot of public ground, but you had to hunt it differently. You know, the cattails and stuff didn't really exist. You're hunting river breaks. You're hunting these big, big, big pieces that, you know, you look at and go, God, I'm just two guys and a dog. How am I going to cover this? And and slowly started kind of figuring out and and both of you kind of talked about like Bob you said parking in a different spot and and I think about there's a piece of of really 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 good prime public land not too far from pier I'm not going to say exactly where because I still go there but it's basically on three sides surrounded by a crop field and and the first year I I had this idea we drove by and there was 300 pheasants out in the cornfield pick cornfield you know at three o'clock and, you know, those birds are out there and it's like a raft of mallards sitting out in the middle of a big, big slough. You know, how do you get to them? Well, we parked probably a mile from the, the public land on the corner of the crop field. And my buddy went north and I went east and made as much noise as we possibly could walking <laughs> by that cornfield and watched them just pile in right mm. and then kind of came at each other very quietly with mm. you know we each had a dog and we got we were still 500 yards apart from each other and we shot our three birds so we snuck mm. out of there and we're like huh wonder how many times that's gonna work you know mm. so over the course of the years i can tell you it's worked a lot right? <laughs> and the, one of the first times we ever did it the landowner came tearing up you know what in the hell are you guys doing and like we're just gonna walk we're walking to this public ground and he goes well this is my ground yes sir and you notice my dog is on a, you know on a leash walking right next to me and well why are you doing that well you see all those birds dumping in they were sitting in your cornfield now they're not and he's like oh that's pretty smart you know so mm. it's just those things you got to think about and and it, it's more than hunting quiet and it's more than you know like like you said bob taking loop-de-loops you can't always play the wind zigzagging go to those middles like yeah it's gonna suck you better have stretched before you you know you got got in there and you better mm -hmm. be in good shape but those are the things you you have to do if you want to come home and go yeah i hunted that right and i you know i shot a couple birds or i shot my limit or at least had opportunities where whereas other people hunt at the wrong time you know and maybe they are hunting quiet and everything but just 
it's just those little, little things that a lot of people don't think about, especially that, that kind of that time of day and parking in different spots and, and those sort of things. Another question I wanted to ask you guys, what does wind and, and big wind, how does that change the way you're hunting? Hmm. So that, that's a great question. It's one of those somewhat unanswerable because, you know, I've been in situations where it's super windy and birds are holding incredibly tight. You know, you can walk up and get some of the tightest holding points possible. And then the opposite, which was the case last week when it was super windy on, I think it was Thursday, and you couldn't get near the birds because they were right. blowing out. They heard, you know, they have pheasants. If you look at their feet, they have kind of a scale on mm-hmm. the bottoms that allows them to feel vibration where you know again they're trying to survive and they can feel approaching people cars dogs whatever and as they get that sense of being pursued they just start blowing out so um <clears throat> so wind to me is one of those variables that's really hard to say this is the way it's going to be until you actually get in there and start figuring out i do prefer on a windy day that's you know maybe it was after a rain or a snow because you're going to have a little bit moisture to help the dogs if it's a windy day and it's dry my goodness is that a tough situation to hunt because tough for the dogs to scent tough once you knock a bird down it's tough to find those birds if you break a wing so um, in terms of, of how I hunt it, I do generally, so when it is windy, I as quiet as I possibly can be because of the the fear of them blowing out. And I do go to the secure cover on the leeward side of hills and slopes where I can find pockets out of the wind where those birds can feel the same way I do, where it's a little bit quieter and colder. Um you know, one other thing we've danced around a little bit is, you know, snow in winter. Yeah. And, you know, just to, as you were asking some of the other questions, thought to myself, well, you know, I think about the important websites I have up, you know, and Pheasants Forever in South Dakota Game and Fish and Park, sure. But the tools are Onyx and Weather Channel. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I was just and, looking at it before I called you guys. And yeah. Weather Channel, if you can, if you have the flexibility in your life to look at the extended forecast and you can figure out when that first snowstorm is going to hit South Dakota, take it off work and get right. to South Dakota because it's so such an overlooked time. Like everybody comes to South Dakota for the celebration of opening day and there's nothing like it. It's, you know, you guys talk about rolling out the orange carpet and there's no other state that embraces the non-resident hunter like South Dakota. Um, but the time to also go and use that second half of your license is figuring out when the snow's going to hit because what that's doing is concentrating the birds in the most likeliest of spots and you can achieve success by um going on that first winter storm in south dakota yeah and and you know bob i i think you bring up a really good point that this kind of late season that's when it you it can get really good and i'm going to ask cole this and i know the answer 
But when do a lot of South Dakota residents look at their true pheasant opener? And it's going to be about the day that the Detroit Lions are going to lose a football game <laughs> on national television as, as we're all eating Thanksgiving dinner. Right? I mean, that... no, it, and, and it's that, that's especially true when I moved here um, because, you know, in Pierre, it's a lot warmer and everything. But we, we never really started. Once I moved here, my buddies, we were chasing – you know, maybe some ducks and some grouse and still fishing out of the boat, for God's sakes. But it was that Thanksgiving right around that first first big snow because snow makes them dumb, too. I mean, it really does. It pushes them in the, hard, the hardest cover, you know, the deepest, thickest cover, and it discombobulates them. It really does. But you're right. It was it was Thanksgiving until the end of the season when, when it was, okay, we're not hunting today. And about 2.30, somebody would call and go, hey, where's your boss? Gone. All right, I'll meet you in 10 minutes. You know, I mean, that's really what it was. You're exactly right, Nick. And, 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 you know, just to circle back, and I don't mean to make this a South Dakota commercial, but I, I will just for a moment, because I, I coming right out of South Dakota, I just feel like it, the embrace of the non-resident bird hunter traveling to South Dakota is unique, and it is really appreciated by people that go there and they feel welcomed, they feel appreciated in the hotels and the restaurants and bars by other hunters. Honest to goodness, that's not the case everywhere. You know, we get the blue platers, the, right. you know, it's like, get out of my fishing hole. Even right. it's not on public land and I'm spending hundreds of dollars to come. Right. And it, so thank you for South Dakotans listening to this. Please keep it up. It, it, it It's very welcoming and it makes a genuine difference to know that, you're you're wanted as opposed to unwanted right. when you're visiting your state right and we do get plenty of that you know we hear it a lot just you know opening day or you know the first few weeks and we, we get that a lot and and god you guys you know why are you promoting this so hard and and it's i mean it's a dollars and cents thing too but it's also just kind of it's been ingrained you know i mean and and i think there are a lot of communities that work really, really hard on it, and it certainly shows. So, yeah, I mean, it, that's appreciated for sure. But yeah, it's an experience like no other, and and you know, it it's extra special to be able to do that. And I, I personally can't wait to bring more of my my family and friends. Um, you know, as I'm able to branch out, and as more time comes about, um, it's it's a magical experience to be sure. Yeah. What, like in, in your neck of the woods, Chris, you said you're you're close to some WPAs and in public ground and stuff. Are you seeing decent bird numbers over there too? Yeah, you know, I, I am very blessed to uh, to always see birds. I may not get our, our limit each time, right. but every time we go out, we're, we're seeing um, hens and roosters. But similar tactics, right? It, it right. gets hard. I, I'm near the, the Twin Cities and... Uh, this year has been crazy. You'd think that during COVID that we'd have all this pressure, but this year more than more so than ever, I've been seeing a lot of upland hunters, which is exciting, obviously, right? right. Um, but you have to then deploy those tactics of going where the other folks don't want to walk. There's right. these areas that are just getting um, walked heavily, and and Bob mentioned it before the, these runways. Yeah, you, know, you yeah. can see absolutely where the people are walking the, and their dogs, and it's it's just beat down. They use that same path to duck hunt because uh, sure. the PA right. is right on a really nice waterfowl production area. So, you know, you find yourself in the back corners 
you 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 find it, the little pockets and then also on the wma you're going to places that people think are only holding deer when back there there's grasslands there's lighter oaks and willows and there's little drier wetlands and those birds are heavy back there but right. nobody takes that one mile walk from where you park to the back right. so you can deploy a lot of the same tactics depending on the cover and and have success and get out there i mean just get out there with with your friends family your bird dogs and and that's what i love about it so much right i have that same passion and whether it's an hour walk two hour walk um and whether i harvest a bird or not and and get your mindset there right I, do we want limits sure i love eating pheasant i just had pheasants last night right so right. yeah yeah Bob, I'll tell you, and I don't know if you were out this way for, for grouse or prairie chickens, but around this area, I've never seen as many prairie chickens as I have in, in my whole life. I mean, mm. there, it, it is insane. And even the area that we have south of here, you know, it started, we were down there, I think we got the place six years ago, and there was some grouse around. And man, if you shot a prairie chicken, we we're all kind of looking at each other going, this is amazing. Mm. I'd probably seen, I went on a three-day hunt with some guys from Alabama. We saw 350 prairie chickens in three days. I mean, it's, it's wild, wild. And and those those critters are interesting because I can't figure them out. One, you walk where they're not, and then you find one for some reason. <laughs> but it, it seems like in the evenings they're coming bombing into some of these um, smaller uncut fields, and they'll land right by the pickup. Mm-hmm. You know, you could walk all day, and all of a sudden you'll come back. And start driving out and they'll come flying off the top of the hill and land 50 yards from the truck and it's something i've never seen before and i can't explain it but our, our grouse and prairie chicken numbers in central south dakota and what i'm hearing in northwest south dakota are just off the charts yeah so it, it's pretty interesting that you know i know i've shot more prairie chickens this year than i have in my entire life by 10. Um, oh is that right Holy yeah i mean, I shot I shot a couple with a 410 the other day just when I was wandering around. I mean, it, it's just it's crazy. And, and you know, looking back and I shudder to even think about it. But on Christmas, you know, we had a barn burner storm and 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 I had the heat go out at our place. And we were I mean, it was a disaster. I thought life was over. And and our place, there were dead birds from pier all the way to Draper. I mean, you mm. you saw them on the road. And you saw them out on the fields and you saw them on the edges of sloughs and you're just like, there's nothing left. And went back, finally got our deal done. And my neighbor came pulling up and it was, it was a two and a half hour drive to go 35 miles. It, the roads were hectic, perilous, you know, tried not to ruin Christmas for my family. And he goes, get in the truck. And I said, I don't have time to get in the truck. I just want to go home and said, get in the truck. And so jumped in the truck and went down the road about a half a mile. And he's got a bunch of, you know, old like feedlots with a lot of thermal cover. And there's a slough down there, but he had a, a silage pile. I kid you not, there's 1,500 pheasants and 500 grouse eating on this silage mm-hmm. pile. And he just looked at me and he goes, they're not all dead. He mm-hmm. goes, they're not all dead. Even here in Western South Dakota, we've got a good enough thermal cover and a good enough food base that they're not all dead. So then went up to Siston for New Year's, there's pheasants everywhere. Any Anytime you found thermal cover, and I'm like, it looked like the North Pole, you know, I mean, even even for Northeast South Dakota standards. So that goes a long ways to talk about your your programs, Pheasants Forever programs, 
the the workers you have on the ground, the workers we have on the ground, the, the co-oping stuff that we do together with our habitat biologists, and our dedication and your dedication to go, look, it's all about habitat. You can mm-hmm. talk about pesticides and you can talk about food and you can talk about should we have trees or not. It's all about habitat and those different kinds of habitats. So, I mean, just pick your brain a little bit on that, but it, it's coming off the winter that we had to have the bird numbers we have is mind blowing. It really is. Yeah, it, we've talked about on our own podcast ad nauseum because you know we've done state by state forecasts um, as we've headed into hunting season. We've talked about this very thing a lot, which is an epic, epically bad winter. You know, very deep snow, long duration, massive April April dump too. Right. And that was true, Minnesota, Iowa, North Dakota, South Dakota, you know, Montana. And we were all in that same, your Christmas mentality was like, oh, gosh, this is horrible. But two things. Number one is thermal cover, right? The thermal cover that's there brought birds through the winter. These, we don't give, you know, prairie grouse, sharpies, chickens, pheasants, enough credit for how hardy they can be if you give them a you know cattails shelter belts some thermal cover the real key the biggest wild card that played into all these states favor was after that april snowstorm we went right from winter into like semi-summer instantly right, right? and it was if you got nesting cover and brood cover, so grasses and flowers mixed together, it instantly greened up, created insect production. It was perfect nesting habitat, and things went dry. Now, I know that that can be tough on our agricultural farm community, but from a bird's perspective, we had an almost perfect nesting season we didn't have any gully gully washers any cold rains any late snowstorm so the adult carryover of birds was sufficient to make nesting season that's where bird numbers can go like a hockey stick it's not about how many birds you lose in the winter it's how many birds you create in the spring and we had like a 10 out of 10 nesting season and that's why the bird numbers like i right now as we sit here, no, you know, mid-November, I've had more success, sharpies, just like you, sharpies, chickens, pheasants, uh, rough grouse, than I had in the entirety of last season. Like my, I just keep track of birds that I, sure. you know, my shooting might be a little bit better, but uh, but, <laughs> but there's but there's more birds, and right. it's because nesting season uh, was darn near perfect, and you know just your comment about prairie chickens hits home for me too, because I, there's just so few States that there's a population strong enough to hunt. I know there's a lottery in Minnesota. I think there's a hundred people that get to hunt prairie chickens, a hundred. That's it. South Dakota, you got them. Kansas has got them. I, there might be a couple other States, but those two, Kansas and South Dakota, are the greater prairie chicken destinations for hunting them in it's a bird that's cool as hell i just i think that they're wonderful on the table with that purple meat and they're just they're so awesome to chase around and they're booming grounds and they're just 
again, it's a South Dakota gem that might be underappreciated by many. Right. Chris, hearing you talk about it, I was just dialing in my PTO request and adjusting my December plan so I can well, go and chase I'm, chickens. I'm telling you this, and I, I've given Bob this this uh, offer. I think great chickens grouse ends the first weekend in January. Yeah, it's that Sunday. You come right before, right after Christmas. You guys can stay with me. We'll sit in the lodge and and drink cold bush light, and and I gladly love to have you guys come down and. And and we'll put a play on them for a day or two. And, and I get, I, I mean, I guarantee you, we're going to see the heck out of them now if we can get them corralled. And I, I'd love to have you both, and and we can talk about that off camera. But I'd love to have you guys come down and just hang out, and and we can swap stories, and and we can try to make a play on them, bring the dogs. <laughs> That's awfully generous of you for sure. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Go ahead. Nick. And you know, Bob, one thing that stands out to me, you know, we talked about winter, we talked about that nesting cover, that perfect year for birds. You know, as somebody that, you know, I'm from Nebraska and I love the deer hunt and I love the walleye fish, but those creatures, that's not something that I see from that year, you know? Yeah, you could shoot a fawn in the, not, I don't really want to, but you can shoot a fawn, but you're not going to shoot a buck for three or four years. Walleyes, they're not going to be catchable size, 15 inches for, for three years. But these are critters we're talking about that you're shooting that what was hatched on June 14th, right. on, on June 25th. You know, I think that's like the coolest thing about bird hunting too, just because you can have a really rough winter and still have an awesome fall nine months later. You know, that's just crazy. Yeah, yeah they, they they call it the R factor, I think, in, in biology terms, reproductive. And in our upland birds are, are really... Um, have that opportunity to go from bust to boom real quickly. Right. And, um, you know, that that's a wonderful component. Um, you know, we refer to them, some people refer to them as nature's chicken nuggets, right? Yeah. <laughs> Every Everything <laughs> wants to eat pheasants and quail and prairie chickens. So they have to have an opportunity to explode population-wise when the um, conditions are right. Bobwhite quail in particular, because they're a little bit unique in the, in the upland bird community because bobwhite quail can actually pull off multiple nests in a given year, oh, wow. which is different. Like a lot of people say, oh, there must have been a second nesting second of pheasant, which isn't true with pheasants. Biologically, right. it doesn't happen. Pheasants can re-nest the second time if they lose a nest to skunks or predation or a gully washer, but right. they don't pull off two broods in one year. Quail, on the other hand, could do that in really unique circumstances. So their populations can really explode. Um, but at the end of the day, the moral of the story is you're right. Um, we don't have to wait two, three years for populations to fully rebound. You can do it all in one season if the conditions are right. Yeah, that's this year for sure. I love that he said KNR, so I put oh. species and we referenced that. Yeah, I dropped sure. a salmon and sent Harkin on a meeting with him yesterday, and I thought I was going to get strangled. going to walk out. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, there, there's a stat and there. We have a, a book. I think we all have it in our office. Ringneck pheasants. Nick's got it up there. And one of the stats is that from the beginning of one pheasant season to the beginning of the next pheasant season, that pheasant population will turn over almost 75 percent. Mm -hmm. And when you tell people that they're like, there's no way there's mm -hmm. no way. And well, if you start doing the numbers, 
you know, a one hen sits down and her first nest, she's going to probably have 20 eggs if it's successful and you got good habitat. So for every one, you get 20. And, yeah. you know, like you said, that predation, the getting hit by vehicles, getting shot, just not making it, dying out. And that, you know, I've shot one three-year-old pheasant in my entire life, and it's the only pheasant I've ever mounted. Mm. You know, and people, well, how old is that bird? Well, it's one. Well, you didn't even look at it. Odds are it's one. Yeah. Right? yeah. You know, odds <laughs> are it's this year's bird. It also speaks to the importance of hens versus right. roosters. Because, you know, I think there's a statistic that says for roosters, you only need roughly 10% of roosters in the population to carry over into the next year to have all the roosters you need to service the hens and increase the population. Right. The, the key is hen health. That's why we shoot roosters, because you want more hens and you want hens to have access to the best habitat and you want hens to have access to the best food. It's, right. it, you know, so bringing hens through the winter in big numbers is key to perpetuating a sustainable population of wild roosters. Right. So, so Bob, I'm going to transition us a little bit. So for folks that are finding this conversation really interesting, like myself, want to come have more of these, want to have the opportunity to visit with you guys, visit with us experts. We've got an awesome opportunity here coming in South Dakota, and it sounds like Chris is getting a uh, paid hunting trip out of the deal. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Location scout, is that what we're calling it? Or is it, yeah, uh, you know, sure. guns involved? But yeah. I mean, tell us, Tell us a little bit about how we can have more conversations like this, how we can support Habitat, and and what we got coming up here after the season. Well, absolutely, and and you can do that year round by being a part of uh, your local chapter, you know, Nick, and and um, the the expertise there and the connectivity to our our team members across the country, and you can have one on one consultations with our team members through our websites. You can go to pheasantsforever.org and quailforever.org. But the to really celebrate, you come to National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic, and we're really excited to be back in Sioux Falls, um, March 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, and um, really out there to celebrate a variety of different um, aspects of the organization mission delivery. So when you're talking about, you know, trying to find the the best spots, um, you know, Chris, I, I'm sure you'll be there. I know we. We see each other each year. Um, yeah. The South Dakota Pavilion is a great spot to work with um, outfitters, game fishing parks, and the team on learning more about the various habitat habitat types and, and tactics um, throughout the state. So you get to do that one-on-one -on -one with them face-to-face -face, uh, through the South Dakota Pavilion, which is right there as you enter into the event. Um, we're we're going to really kick off the event this year with something that we're super excited about. I had to tap into my history, right? Uh, radio concerts, um, and then our relationship with uh, Dave Simonette, such a, a great guy. Um, Bob has known him for a while and um, big bird hunter, and we're going to have our first ever concert for conservation. In fact, I believe Dave was there in South Dakota with you last weekend, Bob. He was. So, yeah. And still don't get a call. <laughs> oh, but I think your invitation to the hunt in December might be drying up. No. Um, I'll take the ice fishing. It'll be fine. <laughs> there you go. But it's the first ever concert for conservation. You, We really encourage people to act quickly because tickets are moving. Um, it will be trampled by turtles with Chester Floyd. Um, so you got two on there. Yeah, you got we got two, two for you guys. Yeah. 
Yeah. Meet and greets, high fives, posters. Yeah. Yes. We're, yeah. dude, we're both big, huge Travel by Turtles fans. So yes. And I, I have that starred on my little question thing. So. I got awesome. a calendar with the little turtle stepping on it says Trample. That's what my calendar is. There you go. <laughs> Tant, wink, wink. Right. Um, so that too is is a part of a, a Sioux Falls and a South Dakota business collaboration with Pepper Entertainment. Um, you know, I'd be remiss to not share um, our thanks for them coming in to help produce the show and bring things together. And they're a Sioux Falls based business. Right. And um, really excited with Jared and that team and their foundation. So they're donating their their time um, for us towards mission delivery. And the show is it's a benefit for mission delivery to put more uh, acres on the ground. The, the best habitat so they can survive winters, so they can have great uh, habitat coming into the spring for nesting seasons. Um, so get your tickets, uh, Washington Pavilion, through our site. But, you know, again, you get to to meet with our team members and kicking off at the Bird Dog Parade there on, on Friday. So look for signups here in January. Um, have over 100 dogs with 50 plus breeds to kick off the show. You get to hear Bob you know and and uh his antics on the stage yeah <laughs> and in his blaze orange blazer you yeah. know i i haven't graduated to that yet i'm still working <laughs> mine's kind of a light pink we're going to try to get that up to blaze orange um <laughs> tickets are on sale now for our our other events outside of the show floor we do a friday night upland rally at the ramcota where we'll have live music um, beer from lighting kugels um games raffles etc celebrating everything uplands right and a, a big fundraiser for the organization our mission delivery so joining us friday night at uh, the ram coda saturday night is our national banquet um, we're really excited just recently we announced donnie vincent as our keynote speaker so really encouraging those tickets are going fast we've been selling out each year now um, so you really need to go on and get your tickets to saturday night um, to hear that message and celebrate with us um, all of our passionate Upland um, conservation uh, supporters at that event. The show floor has so much to in explore. You know, Chris, you're talking about that. Not only do you get to talk about habitat and where to hunt the greatest there in South Dakota, but you get to learn about your next bird dog breed, right? Okay. You can you can go and, and determine is it Poodle Pointer, is it Lab, is it GSP? You know, we, we have all of the, the various clubs there the bird dog stage to learn how to best handle your bird dog. Uh, there'll be a first aid, a bird dog first aid again, the uh, seminars that we did our first time last year. Um, awesome so look for, yeah, thank you. So look for that coming up with uh, support from Perina and our teams putting that together. So you know how to care for your dog when you're out in the field, right? Um, Youth Village, um, new this year because of the great support of, of Sioux Falls and South Dakota businesses, First Premier and First Premier Bank Card are, are presenting our Saturday Family Day, where we'll have live music and treats for, for family members to come in on Friday, um, thanks to their generous support. Uh, the Public Lands Pavilion, this is super exciting, and we were happy to started bringing this together and through the support of Tourism, Game, Fish, and Parks, and Onyx to launch the first ever PATH program, which is an extension of um, Aberdeen Pheasant Coalition, walk-in access programs that Game Fish and Parks is doing, um, but in partnership with Pheasants Forever to, this is 10,000 new 
walk-in access acres and more, right? So Onyx and South Dakota Tourism helped fund that first 10,000, and you guys already have put 1,000 plus in in advance of hunting season. I know the teams were able to go there and start sharing that story, and a person heard it from Missouri on on a podcast and came in and experienced it themselves that opening weekend because he heard of the PATH program opening up not only is it the best habitat and the bird numbers, but the amount of access you have in South Dakota is phenomenal. Habitat help desk. So if you're if you have uh, if you're a landowner, a producer, and you want one-on-one consult, you can do that right there. Women on the wing. You know we're uh, it's it's not only a part of who we are across the board, but including everybody. Everybody is welcome into our upland hunting heritage, right? Um, there's a women on the wing bruncheon on Sunday that we encourage folks to attend. I could go on and on, but there are so many wonderful um, aspects for for you to experience, to learn more about the hunt, get engaged into habitat and hunting, um, path to the upland stage being that if you if you're new and you've not hunted at all and want to learn more about it, our teams are there to to help you out, get you connected with the chapter, get you on your first hunt, find pair you up with the mentor. There's so many different things that we can do. Um, with our great partners such as yourself to to get people um, to enjoy the things that we've spoke so passionately about um, leading up to the Pheasant Fest conversation. And, so. and, and you know, Chris, I think the biggest thing that stands out to me, um, Pheasant Fest in Schaumburg was the first was the first real sports show Chris allowed me to go to, wanted to, <laughs> see, wanted to see how I did. And I, I guess I'm still in, so that's good. But, you know, I think the biggest thing to me, and you sum it up really well, is there's something for everyone. Yeah, I mean, exactly. if you're a landowner, we there's there's something for you there. If you're a passionate bird hunter, there's obviously the National Banquet, those events. If you're just looking to get a family dog, if you're looking to get your first dog, there's something for you. If you're looking to just get into hunting, I mean, you don't have to be a part of the Orange Army storming the beaches in Normandy. This is you're still going to go and have a great time. You can bring all the kids. You can bring the family. You know, I think that's the biggest thing for me, kind of in the, I lose the outside perspective a little bit now after four or five years, but that's what stood out to me the most. And and I think that's what makes this event so well. And I mean, you guys just do a, just do a fantastic job with it. You really do. So nice of you to say, Nick, but yeah, because we're so close to it, but it is, it is, it's an event for everyone. And much like the organization and our mission delivery, it's like a Swiss Army knife, right? Um, covering so many different um, aspects of, of habitat and hunting. And whether you hit those, you're, if, if you're uh, uh, just getting started, not going to hunt at all, but really passionate about pollinators and monarchs and, and um, bird dogs, there is something for everyone at this show. And it's not simply just about... Um, purchasing your next shotgun that is a part of it um, but it you'll find something for you that's engaging and um, goes beyond a, a traditional um, expo and, and i'll say one more thing it has been well documented <laughs> all knows where this is going nick's pollinator plot has been very much discussed on this podcast throughout the last year and all the stuff I got was at Pheasant Fest. Ah. And now it looks like a pollinator plot. It, Before it, it looks like really good. weeds and snakes. But that's a good thing. You got to be patient with pollinators. They don't. Okay. You, you do. It's not going to be that beautiful flowering um, pollinator plot the first year you get it in there. 
I'm not a patient man. Yeah. And, then yeah. the, and then the snakes crawled up, crawled up the butterfly bush, and I had to cut them down halfway through the summer because I got scared. But I mean, I'm again, it speaks to that's something that that literally something I took away from Pheasant Fest was I got these pollinator seed packets. Um, mm. I ordered trees last year. Uh, I might not do that again this year. I didn't do the best of the trees, but throwing pollinator seed, I'm okay with. But I mean, it, it's another one of those things you don't think about. But that's what that's what stood out to me and something i did all summer so um, we're bringing you know. to the next level nick this year we're bringing out a new our teams have worked uh, our seed team has worked a new relationship with nutrient and there's going to be um, smaller habitat kits so yeah, not only, so it Gosh. makes it easier for you to deal with the right have the right chemicals for i think you just sold one already yeah yep so that you can uh you can take care of that so i just learned that they'll be launched at pheasant fest so I, perfect I for you nick I just want all my neighbors to know why I don't mow like right. that. Like, like this is all habitat. It's a habitat camp. That's that's what it is. I'll get you a habitat cooperator sign so you can stake yeah, it right there. Oh, right? please do. Yeah. Yeah. I think you know. I think Bob, Bob, and I have had this conversation. You know, as a sideboard, but I don't know how many pheasant fests I've been to. It, it's a lot. I think I'm on my third full cycle. Um, to watch it, kind of change and morph to call it a sports show is, is and i mean this is is a giant injustice it's like no other show i've ever been to and i've been to you know rocky mountain elk the national i've been all, all of that stuff shot show all this stuff there's there's no place where you're gonna go where if you have a question about any of that stuff habitat upland birds dogs guns and stuff you're going to get that answer and odds are the answer probably isn't even going to be from the guy working the booth it's going to be somebody else standing there that you can stop and have a 20-minute conversation about whatever and then you we go back to our booth and i'll be like nick where the hell were you or he'll be like where were you i, was like, I just had the greatest conversation with some random person who's at the show yep. you know but to see it morph into you know what what it kind of was which was super effective but now to see you guys expanding into, you know, obviously, you know, the travel by turtles. But then like last year, you know, the the, the stuff after hours was unbelievable. And, and it, just to sit down and be able to talk to, like I said, whether it's somebody at the, you know, the booth or, you know, I don't know how many conversations I've had with Tom Dockin and, and how, how often like most people give their left arm to do it. You know, and he's just standing there. Hey, I just need to pick your brain for a second. You know, you said something during that. What did you mean by that? And, you know, those opportunities, and there's so many of them over and over and over that, like I said, it, a lot of times it's not even somebody working the booth. It's somebody maybe just standing there and you like kind of spark up a conversation. And then all of a sudden you come back and you're like, wow, I, I never looked at it that way. Or oh, I've been looking for that answer for years. So that show and... What I will say, and especially in Minnesota, when we go there and we're representing, you know, South Dakota Game Fishing Parks, South Dakota, or Minnesota hunters know our website, know our regulations, know our tools better than we do. You know, they're they're so well versed. They've done their homework, and it, and it's at every one of the locations that we go to. But that Minnesota show is always hilarious because Nick and I'll go. Did you know that's where that was? It's like, yeah, yes, I do now, because those guys like you you're looking forward to that all year round, right? And you're doing your research and you're looking at Onyx and you're looking at our tools and you're calling people and, and you know, cold calling a lot of people, you know, Bob might say, I don't know who that is. Who is this? Oh yeah, it's this guy. Go ahead and call him. Or it's this guy. Go ahead and call him, you know? 
And it's just, you come out of there and I've done a million sports shows. I used to do the Harrisburg sports show, 14 days, 12 hours a day, half a million people through there in a week. And you come out of there and you're just wiped. When we leave Pheasant Fest, it's always just like, yeah, we got a new idea or we should look at this. Or did you see this person's, you know, marketing and the tools that they're using? We should pick some of those off. And I talked to so-and-so and we'll, Nick and I will have a, you know, a, a wallet full of business cards that got scribbles on them. And it takes us two weeks just to call people back and, mm-hmm. and expand those conversations. So it's, it, I know it sounds like a sales pitch and I'm not a salesman in any way, but it's so much more than just a sports show where you're going to buy something. It's, it's, man, if you can't find the answers there, you ain't going to find them because the question you're not asking the right questions. And that's the honest to God truth. And, and it's all to, all to do with, with you guys and, and starting with Bob and now, now Chris, I mean, it, the, what it's morphed into is something that if you bird hunt at all and you you're within 200 miles and you don't go, you better have a wedding or a funeral because <laughs> I, and I'm serious. And, and the other thing about Sioux Falls and we're spoiled. I live six blocks away from the office. If I miss the one stoplight on the way here, I'm mad. Right. Mm. I'm mad all day because traffic. It's so <laughs> easy. And the traffic last time in Sioux Falls, you know, sometimes you see those sports shows kind of die off during the day. In Sioux Falls, it kind of seemed to pick up and, you know, right at five o'clock because it's so easy to get in and out of there. You can yeah. park, you go in for a couple hours, there's food right there, there's food close by, there's things to do close by. So people start coming in after work and it's like, man, I kind of really wanted to go have a beer and do something, you know, so the place is packed again. So it's a little bit different that way, but the access to get in and out of there in Sioux Falls is just, it's such a big selling point for me when we go and do things there. Well, the community is so uh, supportive and just pleased to hear you say that, Chris, and and excited for for everybody listening to come and experience it, right? Make your own memories. Yeah. See Chris at the Ramcota Bar, because um, yeah. <laughs> obviously the the after hours is is electric, and you do get to learn a lot. You're you're sitting there with a, a ton of like minded individuals that are all willing to help, and that that's what's so neat about the Upland community too, right? right. The, uh, uh, very passionate about uh, the habitat that's on the ground, the birds we love to pursue, but helping others, right? right. The majority of, of this Upland community is that, that we want to bring as many people in as we can to experience the joy that we get to experience, right? The, ma- right. the magic that's that's driving us each day. And we're just blessed to be able to have this as a part of our career. It's, right. it's a job. Well, well, you know, we have to work just as hard as any other job, but we get to just look at the impact we have, right? Right. So right. thank you for saying that. The whole organization um, has continued, has embraces Fest and growing it and evolving it and and um, making it into what it is today. It it takes over 150 of our team members to, to be there and run this event. Um, and all of the the great things you you talk about experiencing are led by this passionate organization and the team members that are leading every day, right? Yep. We're we're the ones behind the curtains, you know, aligning the the pipes and drapes and making sure people know where their booths are. But it really is on the backs and shoulders of the experts of the organization, and and um and they're so excited to work with you as well and and talk to each and every one of of our guests and and members and supporters uh to get that right habitat on the ground and and uh, make it a positive experience for our sponsors um and and everybody um that's a part of fest 
So I'll, I'll echo the appreciation, Chris, for your, you know, your perception of the the event. That's wonderful to hear. And I think back. So I started six days before the very first ever Pheasant Fest in 2003. Six days on the job, and one of the early responses I was doing an interview with somebody in Pheasant Fest. So blaze orange shotguns and rednecks. And that's always stuck in my craw. Um, and I think it's stuck in the craw of, of our team. And it we Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic is it's I don't, I don't mean to come off as elitist, right. but it's it is the embodiment of a celebration of a lifestyle in the uplands. Like we feel very passionately. You know, in this organization, we have more biologists employed by this organization than any other entity in the country outside of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. We're led by science and we are we believe we're saving the world through habitat. We're creating habitat for wildlife, cleaning water, cleaning soils, you know, the locavore movement, wild right. sustainable birds, sequestering carbon, fighting back you know, climate change, whatever you believe on that, right? But everything, you think, I think back to high school, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Right. Pheasants forever and quail forever are delivering food, water, shelter through, and pheasant fest is an embodiment of that with the secret ingredient, fun, right? right? Like it's, it's bird dogs, it's wild game cooking, it's artwork, and we this is it. Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic. If you think blaze orange and shotguns, you're small-minded. It, it it's got gotta have shotguns, right? All the best. Yeah, you know, all the Benellis, the Brownings, the Berettas. It's gonna have blaze orange from Shields to you know to Chief Upland to Final Rise to Hunt Ready. But we're also gonna talk about buffers and pollinator habitat and monarch butterflies and greater prairie chickens. And um, it's it's a lifestyle that we cherish. And we believe that uh, so much of what we can do is going to benefit all of America. Right. And it, I, I think, you know, I, I look at it and and I know my my wife has gone to plenty of these kind of things, you know, and in her first time ever at pheasant fest was in sioux falls and she walked out going yeah that's not i was expecting you know the sports show where guys are you know this is the hot deal and all that stuff and it's it is so different because if you anybody can find their place there like you know like you were getting at it's not you know yeah it is a celebration of that stuff but you know you have any interest at all and maybe you're not, not even interested in 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 the hunting part of it maybe more it's the more of the habitat part of it you know there your place is there right mm-hmm. i mean you you can talk to 100 people until you're blue in the face and you're sick of talking about it the the other thing that i think where that really excels where pheasant fest really excels is just that what kind of Chris was was kind of identifying at as as it's just everybody's coming together. You might have all different interests, but there there are so many different opportunities and conversations to be had there. And, and you'll talk to people that will just be like, "Well, I'm just here looking for a dog," 
And then 20 minutes later, they might come back and go, hey, where's the place that's selling, you know, those trees? Or where's the place where I need to go to find, you know, X, Y, or Z? And it's just, you look at the floor map and, and go, um, I'm going to have to phone a friend, you know? So <laughs> it does bring in so many of those different people in there. And that it's just, you're all kind of like-minded, but it isn't so focused on just that one thing. Obviously, it's quail. We want more quail and pheasants. But that all-encompassing, that bringing it all in together. And also, the other thing I wanted to say was, I think one of the first times outside of this agency that I ever heard, you know, we're pushing habitat, we're pushing private lands habitat, was was at Pheasant Fest where one of your gals said, well, it's got to make sense for the landowner. You know, at the end of the day, it, it's got to make sense for their wallet, their operation, how they view everything and how they do things. And, and we had been saying that, not necessarily outside these walls, but it was just like, yes, 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 yes. Finally, we're getting it. You know, we're getting it out there. You can't go to a landowner and go, well, you need more habitat when corn's $11, right? So how does it make sense to you? And how can we help you walk you through it and hold your hand and go, here's what, here's all the programs we have. Here's all the programs GFP has. Let's work and figure out. Maybe it's not a giant, you know, stand of CRP. Maybe it's buffers or maybe it's you know, something else. And there's all these things, but it's got to make sense to your bottom line. And that that's one of the first times where I was, I had heard that outside these walls and went, awesome, let's go. You know, now, now we can, now we can start trying to change the world. Right. Right. Yeah. And it, which speaks to, you know, why the U.S. Secretary of Agriculture comes to Pheasant Fest, right. you know, eight out of 10 times, you know, it's, right. it's because, you know, we are trying to bridge that, relationship between federal agency state agency and the landowner and we can be the intermediary to help get habitat on the ground to the benefit of all interested parties awesome yeah awesome well boys i think uh what do we got on dates for pheasant fest chris march 1st 2nd and 3rd at the denny sanford premier center Presented by Federal Ammunition. See, we we go then the. There you go. Look at that. We, well, check check that one off your box. Well, no, Federal Federal <laughs> Ammunition's been a long, long time, time presenting sponsor of the show, so it's important that we recognize that because, like we said before, it takes those partners to make it possible to bring everything together. Um, right. So. Yeah, that's a big commitment, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, concert is when. February twenty ninth. So you can uh, take leap day. So it's uh, maybe if you want, you can go get married uh, the before you come <laughs> to the show. And, uh, you know, I, I was going to say, you want to know the best news about March 1st, 2nd and 3rd is that Chris isn't going to have to make special accommodations so I can watch the Daytona 500. Right. No, uh, you have to watch the Daytona 500 on the way home. <laughs> OK, your your priorities. We see where your priorities are, Nick. Yeah. You know? So if, no. if I could give my scheduling insight for future Pheasant Fest right now. Uh, Daytona 500 this year will be the uh, uh, February 18th. So just oh, avoid wow. that weekend. So well, we're generally okay. By the way, Nick, it's almost always Valentine's Day weekend too. So I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know. well, we can oh, see wow. his priorities. He's right. Like, oh, yeah. Valentine's. Nick's, Nick's got them young priorities. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, National Pheasant Fest Quail Classic kicking off with the Trampled by Turtles show on Thursday, February 29th, uh, Leap Day, which is really cool. And then uh, we come into the the consumer show, but all of the engagement surrounding it, right? March first, second, and third, and 
you'll find all of the information, schedules, tickets, and everything at, at um, pheasantfest.org, um, where you can get yourself completely your plan for the weekend, get your tickets, and we encourage you to do it um, as soon as you're able, as those outside events, the celebratory events that you're talking about, Chris, on Friday night and our banquet Saturday, the Women on the Wing brunch, and all of those are available through that ticketing site, but they do sell out, so we ask you to... Right to take advantage of that as soon as you can. Don't be coming up to you two on on, uh, on the first day of the show going, hey, I need tickets, because they yeah. don't. And, it, well, and we know that on this call, two backstage passes <laughs> <Yeah>. yeah. <laughs> too. So. I didn't tell you what backstage you're going to, Nick, but we'll get you behind a stage somewhere. Yeah. Backstage of a Wendy's. Right. That's right. <laughs> Not going to Wendy's. <laughs> Chris, Bob, thanks for your time. We appreciate it. You guys are busy dudes. Um, we really appreciate it. It's good talking to you, and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking to you guys before Pheasant Fest, and uh, we appreciate the heck out of the time. Well, right on. Thank, thank you, you very well. much. Thank you for all the great work you guys are doing as well and and how you are able to continue to keep South Dakota um, the state of hunting the greatest, right, where where we can talk about that. That's the great work you guys are doing with your teams and, and the support of the community. And um, we thank you for that. So we can right. celebrate our passions as well, right? Yep. Thanks a ton, boys. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. I've been down blind just past by without seeing how to me. I've been down blind just past by without seeing by to me. Great stuff from Chris and Bob, man. I love sitting down and talking to those guys, picking their brains. Um, they both don't hunt labs, but I won't hold that against them. Both great dudes um, doing a lot of good work for Pheasants Forever, and I appreciate their time. That being said, um, again, hope you're having a good fall. Get out there and enjoy the weather. Get out there and enjoy the resources. Man, because it's pretty darn good right now. I personally don't have any deer tags. So I'll be chasing uh, prairie chickens and pheasants, and as soon as we get some ice, um, my happy butt will be shuffling out there to do that and trying to create some more content and a heck of a lot of more memories. So until next time, thanks for listening. Have yourself a day. Next afternoon, show back to my car. Well, then my battery's dead.